that's what we've been doing. We've been looking at how do we see ourselves because usually we end up seeing ourselves one of two ways. We, we see ourselves as somebody that, that we deserve a masterpiece kind of frame because of who we are or that uh, we kind of look at our life as, well, we just kind of piecemeal and uh, I'm not really all that. And so this is kind of the frame that my life would deserve if I was to have a frame for who I am. And so we've been looking at this so that, so that we could all discover and understand that, that really this is the frame. And it's not because of just what we do, but it's because of how we've been created and who it is that has created us. Because so we've been on this journey together, we've looked at several things. We've looked at this idea of, of keeping it real when it comes to our identity. And, and how do we keep it real? That we become people that we go, hey, I, I want to I be authentic, so I, I need to be somebody that I can learn to accept my limits. That, that we have to do this, and we have to accept our limits, that we have to be people that we would embrace our gifts, that God's given us gifts, and, and we got, can't be jealous of what other people's are. We just got to go, hey, this is how God made me, okay, so I need to use these gifts. I need to be somebody that I will see myself the way that God sees me. So we looked at, well, let's just start discovering our value, and as we discover our value, then there's some things that we can do, that we can practice that's going to promote this authentic identity. And so what are those things? That we would recognize that, that our identity, it's something that we discover. It's not something we create. That we discover it. We discover it in God. That we would respond to Jesus' love for us. And then when we respond to this, that we really begin to see just how valuable we are because Jesus gave his life for us. We talked about that we would rest. That, that we'd find the rhythm of rest in our life. So, so that we're just not burnt out with everything as we're trying to move through life, and that we could find some joy and find rest even in our Heavenly Father. We looked at this idea of, of becoming like Christ, and that the more that, that, that we want to become like Christ, the more we have to center our life around Jesus, that, that we just start looking going, how is it that I need to center my life, and I need to center it around Jesus, and when we do this, that, that we're going to love others, and we're going to love ourselves in a very healthy way. We grow, and we do this. We'll be able to love others and love ourselves in a very healthy way, and it's, it's what we need to be doing. It's what we should be doing. That this becoming like Christ, we, we looked at this line that, that Jesus had said, and, and, and he said this line, it, it's, it's better for you that I go, and it kind of sounds like a bad breakup line, I know, but, but he says, it's better for you that I go, and he's talking to his disciples, and so Jesus, he, he left us. But when we look at Jesus leaving us, we need to look at what he left us with. That he left us with his word so that we could remember him and the things that he said, the things that he did, so that we could remember him. He left us with his word. That he left us with his spirit. That, that, that Jesus had to leave in order for the Holy Spirit to come in a way that the Holy Spirit hadn't been here before. And that is that the Holy Spirit wouldn't just kind of hover the earth and be around, but the Holy Spirit would come and live inside of everyone who would believe in Jesus. So Jesus left us. He left us with His Word. He left us with His Spirit. And He left us with His church. And the church, it's, it's not just this thing that we attend. The church isn't a building that we show up at. The, the church is the community of believers. That that's who the church is. And that, that when we surround ourselves with, with people who are seeking to be all that God wants them to be and they're seeking to grow in their faith, that that just helps us to become more like Christ. And today we're going to talk about silencing the myth. If you're somebody that, that you've ever worked for a boss that, that seems to 
overreact when they don't even have all the facts straight, that, that you could probably be able to appreciate this. That there was a, a company, a large company, and they decided that they wanted to shake things up some, and so they hired a new CEO. And that CEO, he let everybody know that, that there was going to be no room for any slackers, no idlers in the company. And, and so as he wanted to start getting to know the, the workforce and what people are doing, he would started touring the, the plant. And as he started touring and seeing what people were doing, he, he saw one guy that was just holding up a wall. He's just kind of just sitting there. And, you know, he's like going, uh, you, you should, I'm walking through. Everybody here should know who I am and what I'm doing. And so he approaches the guy. He says, young man, how much do you make a week? And the guy said, oh, about $400. You could see he was puzzled, didn't, didn't know why. The CEO, he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out $1,600 cash, and he gives it to the guy, and he says, you're fired. Don't ever show your face around here again. And the guy takes the money, he's kind of like, mm, he walks off. And then that CEO says, can somebody tell me what that guy did around here? And you heard a guy yelling, he just delivered my pizza. <laughs> you know, when, when it comes to understanding our identity, you know, we, we get asked this question. And this question that we get asked is we get asked, what are you going to be when you grow up? That, that, that when we're kids, we, we got asked that question more times than what we could ever count. What are you going to be? When you grow up. And, and as you think about your childhood and, and what that answer was, how many of you are doing something different with your life now than what your answer was when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah, most of us, right? So does that mean that our identity changed? No. It, it doesn't. That our identity did not change. It's interesting, when, when getting to know someone, we usually have the, these go-to questions that we just begin to ask people. That, that we ask them, hey, where, where do you live? We ask them, where are you from? You know, if you moved here, we want to know where, where are your roots? You know, we ask people, hey, where did you go to school? If they went to a college, what did you major in? We just start asking these kinds of questions as we get, begin to get to know people. And, and then when, when you start to want to get to know more about them, especially when you're like kind of single and you think like you're falling in love and, you know, you, you ask the, the favorites questions, right? And so, hey, what's your favorite? We ask, you know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite sports team? We want to know what's your favorite food? What's your favorite singer? What's your favorite song? We want to know what's your favorite movie? Who's your favorite? We, we just want to know because all of this is a pursuit to know what? To, to begin to know somebody's identity. And, and this is just this pursuit that we have when we begin to ask these people questions. But there's one of these questions that ends up coming up, and, and it's a question, and I'm going to say this word in church, I, that, I, that I, I hate. I'm not talking about I hate people, but, but I hate the question. And, and it's interesting that I hate it because I use it all the time with people. I, I, don't, I don't hate it when I'm asking others. I only hate it when people are asking me. And, and this is the question. So what do you do? Now, now, don't get me wrong. It, it's not that I'm like embarrassed or ashamed that I'm a pastor when I'm just meeting somebody and they're practically a stranger to me and they're asking me, what do I do? It's not that at all because I love, I love what I do. But, but 
I just know that, that too many times when, when I answer that question by letting somebody know that I'm a pastor, I, I, I go from a regular person to some kind of religious priest like that. And, and people are like going... And they, they, you know, they, they were like, hey, I, I think I could have a conversation. Oh, no I, no, I can't have a conversation with you. And, and so I do. I, I end up, I hate it when this question comes up. And, and so many times I, I end up telling them other things that I do, and I don't tell them about this particular thing that I do, even though this is the thing that consumes most of my time with what I do, because I just like going, hey, I just want you to know about these other aspects of my life so we can just stay normal, right? You know, and I own a business, for sure. It's, oh, yeah, do, do real estate. Events. I just tell them about these other things, you know, and sometimes I've even said this to people. I'm a motivational speaker. You know, I, you know, I'm just like, I mean, yeah, it's true. I'm trying to motivate people to follow Jesus, you know, and, but, but I just kind of avoid the whole I'm a pastor kind of thing because of how people end up looking at me. You know, when, when it comes to our lives, that, that we all have things, we all do things, we've all done things, we all want things that, that, that we can be ashamed of, right? And, and, and some of these things that, that we're ashamed of, it, it, it makes us a little concerned when people want to get to know more about us because we're not sure if they, if they know these things, if, if the way that they see us is going to change. And so, so we begin to be a, a little reserved because we don't trust how, how they're going to see us. We, we don't trust it that if we let them know, hey, this is kind of my political preference, that's where I'm at, that this is where I'm at morally with my life. We, we're like, I, I'm not willing to open up and, and share with you what I, what I think about that and, and what my thoughts are along those lines. I'm not going to tell you about where I'm at spiritually and, and what I believe. About. I'm not going to do any kind of religious conversation. Because, and we just do. We, we, we get very reserved because we are concerned about how people are going to see us when we let them know something about our past, our, our faults, our, our failures, or our, our weaknesses, well, I, I don't want you to see that. I don't want you to know that. That's just kind of off limits because I don't trust how you're going to see me and how it is that you're going to try to shape my identity when you know these things. You know, another way that we end up associating identity with people is that we do things like, okay, how, how popular, how well-known is somebody? How, how successful is somebody? What kind of career are they in? What relationships do, do they have? Who does it that they know? We, we just ask these questions. It's about their education and their status. That we do all of this all in this pursuit. And somehow we narrow down who we are by what we do and who we know. And we do, we, we just kind of narrow this all down to your identity is based on what you do and who you know. And it's not the best way for us to identify others, or especially not the best way for us to understand our own identity. You know, as we kind of look around the, the world today and see people trying to answer this question of, of who am I, you know, with this quest to understand their own identity, that that people, some of them, go to the extremes to be different. That they just caught up in this, uh, you know, I, I just want to be different. That they, they look around and they just see norm, 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 norm. All these people, that, that's what normal is. And so I don't want to be normal. I just want to be different. And so they start doing some things to be different. 
And then after they start doing some things to be different, you know what ends up happening next? They start looking for people that are going to follow their being different. They start looking for people that are going to be like them as they are being different. And then we wonder, why is it we get so confused about identity? When we've got people that are going, I just want to be different. And as soon as I'm different, now I want people to be like me, but I want to be different. Why? We get so confused when it comes to identity. And that we've got to begin to, to narrow it down because identity, it's, it's scary. That some people, they're trying to conceal it. Other people, they're trying to steal it. That, that when it comes to our identity, some like to flaunt it. And others, people, they're just left feeling like, I just want it. Identity. So what do we do? Well, we need to understand that, that we are all people that are created by God. That God is the master creator. He is the master of masters. And he has created people. Every single person that has ever existed is a creation of God. And he created us all as his masterpieces. That we are all a masterpiece. And throughout the pages of scripture, what we see over and over is that we see a God that seeks to start relationship and sustain relationship with people. Because we're his most prized creation, that he loves us, and he longs to be relationally connected to us. I want us to look in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 22. And, and if you're not overly familiar with Genesis, that's fine. It's this very first book in our Bible. And in the very first book, it starts out with the whole creation and, and God creating in six days. And, and then after that, we, we soon discover, hey, God did something special with Adam and, and, he, and he wanted him to have a, a life mate and he took a, a rib from his side and we, we get to see all of that. And, and then we get into chapter three. Everything's bliss up until this. And in chapter three, we see that, that Adam and Eve do something that, that God had said not to do, that, that we only get one not from God through all of chapters 1 and 2, when we get to see it all laid out. And, and, and what we see is that, that do not touch, not, not touch, do not eat from, from the tree of good and evil. The, 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 everything here in the garden is yours to enjoy except that one tree. You cannot eat the fruit from that tree. And we probably all know in this room and we probably all know that Eve and Adam both, they, they ended up eating the fruit from that tree. So I want us to look at something that we see here in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 22. It says, Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. Here's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're, they're just having this conversation, you know. That, that they have become like us, that they, they know both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? That, that apparently they've not eaten from that tree yet, and that tree wasn't even told that it was off limits to start with. But now that they've eaten from the tree 
of knowledge of good and evil. That was sin, that they, they broke God's rules, they broke his heart. And, and when they did this, they went against him. They also did something that was going against themselves, sin. And so they did this, and now God's going, I, I don't want them to live forever here on earth with a broken relationship with me. And so he's asking this question, what, what, what if they eat from the tree of life? Then they will live forever, but live forever with that sin. Verse 23, so the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden. That, that, he, that he banished them, he, he, he moved them out. There's this myth that, that, that has done a considerable amount of damage to us as people when it comes to our relationship with God. And, and that, that myth is this, the myth is the better I am as a person, the more God loves me. So that's, that's the myth, that the better I am as a person, the more God loves me. The, the worst case scenario, when, when somebody believes this myth, they buy into this lie. Worst case scenario, it just alienates people from God. That, <clears throat> I, I don't want a God that, that I, I have to perform for. So, so I, it just alienates people from God. When, when they start believing this myth, the better I am as a person, the more God loves me. Best case scenario, it's like somebody gets on a, a spiritual treadmill until you get exhausted and you tire out. And you're like, I, I can't keep going, I can't keep going. And so you step off and you take a break from God. This, this myth, it, it's a destructive myth. And unfortunately, the, the church has been one of the culprits of, of, of people coming into church and thinking, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I, the, the, the better I am as a person, that the more God loves me. God banished Adam and Eve from the garden, but never from himself. This, this is so important for us to, to grasp and to understand that he, he banished them and removed them from the garden, but never from himself. He, he was never, hey, we just need to take a break on the relationship, you know, and you, you just need some time. It, it, it was never that. It was because I love you so much, because I care about you so deeply. I'm not willing to risk you making another destructive decision now that you've made the decision. You, and so he removes them. He banishes them from the garden, but he never banishes them from himself, that he continues to seek relationship with them. And ever since this decision in the Garden of Eden of of Adam and Eve, of, of taking this forbidden fruit. We, we refer to it as the fall, that they, they fell from grace, they fell from perfection, that, that they, it, was, it was the fall. And ever since, people have been trying to earn a placeholding with God because we keep believing this myth that the better I am as a person, the more God loves me. Let me let you in on something. 
When it comes to my own kids, my kids disappoint me at times. I know, pastor's kids, what, really? You know, yes, my kids disappoint me at times. But it never changes my love for them. That there's absolutely nothing that my kids could do that would cause me to love them more. And if you're a parent, you get it, you understand. That there's nothing that we, our kids could do that would cause us to love them more. However, there, is, there are some things that our kids could do that would cause us to be more proud of them. Yes, that, that exists. But, but not for us to be able to love them more. There's nothing that, that I could do to cause my parents to love me more. And there's nothing you or I could do that would cause God to love us more. That He loves us. That he created us for a relationship. He created us as, as a masterpiece. He is the master creator. And God made you to love you and be loved by you. That's it. God created you to love you and to be loved by you. That's why we are created. Are you in touch with your identity? I'm a creation of God. Created to love the creator. That's your identity. But, but so many times things happen in this life that it causes us to start looking in other ways to, to think what our identity is. Now, I love one of the things that, that we do around here. We do it every Christmas season. We call it Crosspoint Christmas Project. And we'll actually be rolling it out next month. You'll see details about it. But, but it's something that we do every year. And what we do... Is, is, is we look for some kids, whether they're foster kids, whether they're kids that they've got a parent in prison, but we look for some kids that, that when it comes to their identity, they're going through some hardships because of what's happening in their life. And when we're going, hey, we want to do what we can as a church to help show these kids, listen, God loves you. And so we, we do, we, we get a Christmas list from them and, and we put little tags together and we're out there and we, we, people just pick up a little tag and, and they get to choose what dollar amount they're willing to do and, and we get some gifts for these kids. We bring it back and, and they don't get to know us individually of who we are, but they get to know that, hey, listen, it's because of God's love is why this gift is given to you. It's just a way for us to help them see that there is a God who loves them because we want to help shape their identity this way. When we buy into this lie that the better I am as a person, the more God loves me, when we buy into this, you know what it does? It, it, it leaves us full of guilt and frustration. It does. Because we, we, we look, I can never be good enough. And I'm frustrated and I'm so guilty. It, it leaves us as people that, that we just feel wounded and we feel weary when we believe this lie, this myth that the better I am as a person, the more God loves me. Could you imagine what life would be like if we shattered that myth and we embraced our authentic identity? It would transform the face of this planet. It would absolutely transform it. Jesus, Jesus wasn't sent here on earth to, to die the incredibly brutal death that he died. To pay for our sins just so that we could have 
a religious connection with God. He did it so we can have a relationship with Him. That the, the better I am as a person, the more God loves me. That myth tells us that I just have to perform well to be received well. And there's too many people that, that, that they're believing this myth that I, I have to perform well to be received well. God, I, I'm not performing well enough, God, so I know you're not receiving me very well, so I, I'm going I'm to work on it. I'm going to get back to you. That we've become convinced that this is what we have to do as people. And nothing can be further from the truth. But why do we get convinced of this? We get convinced of this because of how society is. This is why we get convinced of this. That Jesus, he came to give us hope and freedom. But for too many people, when they think about Jesus or they, they think about God, their, their thoughts aren't full of hope and freedom. It's full of shame and, and, and guilt and, and doubt and anger and, and apathy. So how do we get back to this, this hope and freedom? Let's look at something Jesus said that gets recorded in, in John chapter 3, verse 18. That, that he's, he's talking to a guy named Nick, Nicodemus, and as he's talking with him and explaining some things, this whole born-again concept, if you've heard of that, he's already covered all of that. And he says this in verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. He's talking about the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the, the, the Christ. There's no judgment for anyone who believes in him. He's actually talking about himself. So, so what is this judgment that there's, that there's this judgment that just disappeared, that just goes away? The judgment is eternal judgment. And there's no eternal judgment for anyone who believes in him. But then he flipped the coin. He said, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. That without belief in Jesus, there is a judgment that's going to last for all eternity. We get this lifetime to choose. Where are we going to put our faith, our hope, our trust. What are we going to do with Jesus? So the myth uh, says the better I am as a person, the more God loves me. Okay, well, if that's the myth, then let's look at the truth. Because the truth is my behavior doesn't determine God's love for me. My behavior doesn't determine God's love for me. Now, our, our behavior can, can make God sad. Our behavior can put a smile on his face. But the truth is, is my behavior doesn't determine God's love for me. It doesn't take any faith to believe. The better I am as a person, the more God loves me. That doesn't require any kind of faith. It just requires a lot of work. But it's work for nothing. Because it is not true. In the church, we, we have been guilty of, of we, we welcome people in to the kingdom and say, hey, welcome to the kingdom of God. We want you to be here. Um, and then what do we do? We inundate them with endless can'ts and don'ts that makes it feel like it's all about performance and behavior. And, and there's a place for it for us to be able to, to live the life that God wants us to live. 
But we have to separate how God, how we see that God loves us. And the reason it becomes so difficult is because when it comes to our society, we get, we get rewarded with performance. We get rewarded for behavior. That, that it starts when we're, when we're really young. When we first start going to some kind of organized school that, that we get an attendance award. Hey, at the end of the year, hey, you showed up sometimes. Here's an award. You went on one of our field trips. Here's your field trip award. We, we, do, we, we just start awarding them, and, and we start conditioning them to, hey, you, you want to get awards. But after they get past these younger years, then it starts getting a little more challenging, and we have the honor roll. We have letter jackets. We have a class ring. Oh, you got to perform. You got to meet the credit. You got to meet the. You've got to do these things. Oh, there's the dean's list. And and we get this whole idea. We get inundated with. I've got to perform. And it doesn't end when we get done with our education. That when we move into the adult workplace, that we still keep seeing opportunities to be awarded for our performance, what we do, that there is the employee recognition, that there is the bonus for meeting the quotas that you had to meet. There's the personal parking spot because of something you did, you earned it for a month or because you achieved a certain status. And with all of this that society keeps doing, society tells us that the better you are as a person, the more that you perform, the more you're going to get rewarded, and we equate that with love. And so then we start thinking, man, maybe that's the way God is. But nothing could be further from the truth. That the church, we've been guilty of just dangling this, this carrot in front of people that if you behave the right way, if you, if you look the right way, if you pray the right way, if you vote the right way, it, we just keep having all these things that, that if you'll do these things, then God, you'll have a God that will love you all the more. It's just not true. God can't love you any more than he does right now. And God can't love you any less than he does right now. That God loves you. And understanding God's love leads to a greater discovery of your God-given identity. That the more you understand His love, the greater you're going to discover this God-given identity that He has for you. That in God's economy, destiny isn't about where you're going. It's about who you're going with. That's destiny. The, the destiny relates to who. Destination is, relates to what. And, and depending on the who determines the where. That, that when you know Jesus, you believe and you put your faith, your hope, your trust in Him, then you get the destination of heaven because there is no judgment. In Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. That since you've been raised to this new life with Christ, 
That is, if you bow the knee of your heart and, and, and you put your faith, your hope, that's this, you've been raised to this new life. Verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. See, when we think about the things of heaven, we start seeing our identity as an identity that, that was, we were created by the master creator. But when we think about the things of earth and how we've got to perform and how, how much shortcomings and weaknesses we have, we start framing ourselves up, self up this way. So it's why we've got to get this right. Verse 3, for you died to this life. Even though we're, we're all still here, you died to this life, this way of life. A perform and do, because... You now have a new life of seeing who you are in Christ. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. We silence the identity myth when we discover that Jesus' perfection is what offers us protection. It's His perfection that, that he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins and it's what offers us protection of our identity we are a masterpiece created by our heavenly father we're going to finish our service a little differently that we've got a song that we're going to sing but but we've got something that's going to be even more than that song when that song's over that we're going to finish our service with. Pray with me. God, I pray that we would silence this identity myth. God, God that we would just, we would just turn down that, that dial of, of what this world is teaching us and, and convincing us when it comes to how we have to perform and do to be able to measure up in the eyes of others. That we could just turn that and dial that all the way off. God, so we can see that our identity in you is something that that gets created when you created us. We don't have to create our identity. We just have to discover it and to see that, that we are a masterpiece. God, I pray that this myth, the better I am as a person, the more that you love me, I pray that that would just be silenced, that it would just be shut down. And God, that as we begin to discover and understand this truth, God, that we could help others to turn that off too. So that we could really tune into the truth that, God, you love us. And there's nothing that we could do to cause you to love us more or less. So, God, help us. Help us to see who we are the way that you see us. Help us to, to look at life as a gift from you and not something that we have to dread, not something that, that we, we feel this, this heaviness, burdensome weight of life. But God, instead, that, that we find the joy in life because we get reminded of who we are in you. God, give us Give us the blinders that, that would cause us to not see the things that distract and pull us away and draw us closer to you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.